Relying on someone who doesn't know you or your situation to give you specific financial advice is just plain dumb. That's why everything said on this show is just helpful information. If you want specifics, give us a call. All opinions expressed here are ours. GenWealth Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor with securities offered through LPL Financial. Member FINRA SIPC. On today's Get Ready for the Future show, the final week of our October theme, Money Milestones, for every decade. This week's finale focusing on milestones in your 70s. What to do, what you need to know if you've worked a little longer, and now you're ready to retire. This is the Get Ready for the Future show. All across the great state of Arkansas, welcome in to another edition of the Get Ready for the Future show. We are glad to have you along. My name is Scott Inman, Candace Stanley to my left. Good morning. How are you this morning? Good, how are you? Ready to roll. We are ready to roll. Yeah. We are a little spry today. We're going to go yes, ahead and admit that before we started the show. <laughs> John Shrewsbury to my right, Janet Walker to his right. It's going to be a great show today, though. We're talking about money milestones in every decade all month long, and we're, our finale this week is money milestones in your 70s. And, and there are some specifics if you've worked a little longer, whether you wanted to or not, because you needed to to save more for retirement, or uh, maybe you just wanted to work, you enjoyed your job. Whatever the reason, we're going to be focusing on those milestones later for later retirement. What do you need to know? And, and when you talk about uh, some people working later into their working years. I thought of the guy that really uh, was in the headlines earlier this week. I don't know if you saw this little tidbit around the Razorback game. Of course, the Razorbacks got off the uh, the losing streak. They, they broke their six-game six losing yes. streak last week against the Tulsa Golden Hurricane, and it was a 23-0 final. It was the first shutout for the Razorbacks in, in four seasons. But for the defensive coordinator, John Chavis, who they call the chief, yep, He's 62 years old, still plugging along. It was his 15th career shutout as a defensive coordinator. I have to say, they call him Chief because he has distinct Indian features. Yes. You know? yes. A- unlike maybe a senator from the Northeast that got blown out. You knew that was coming. I'm sorry. <laughs> we were talking about football. Let's go back to football. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so um, yeah, the Chief uh, has been the architect of the Arkansas defense, which mm-hmm. Chad Morris has said has been their rock this year. They have, they've been the ones that have really kind of kept them in some games, even yeah. though we lost them. Yeah. Uh, the, they, the defense has done a really nice job not every week uh, obviously Alabama with the exception to that rule Ole Miss they played well for a while but that was obviously the uh, the feather in their cap that they needed and 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 the defense of course the players on the field you know get the credit for doing that but I, I just thought it was an interesting um, stat that it was his 15th shutout and you think about a guy longevity he's been around for a long time 62 I also saw his salary, by the way. It's about $1.5 million. So he's not working because he has to. No. Or, or he shouldn't be working because no. he has to, no. right? So 62 years old, he's still putting in the time. He wants to work. He's in later in life and still achieving a lot. And I think that's a great jumping off point for today's show. Yeah, absolutely. And when you think about the working into your 60s, I wrote uh, the blog for last week's show. It's on our website at GetReadyForTheFuture.com. I, I, I wrote it from the perspective of I'm not 60 yet, but I can see it from here. Mm-hmm. And eh, I'm not real sure I like what I'm seeing. You know, Is that like Alaska from your <clears throat> backyard? Yeah, oh. yeah that's <laughs> it. Another, another political wow. reference. Another yeah. political wow. pun there. You know, but, I, I got say, John, that is one of my favorite blogs that you've ever written, because when I had the opportunity to read it, it was one that really nobody else on our team could have written. You know, so many times the the voice of a blog, uh, it gets lost in the Gen Wealth family, so to speak, meaning really any advisor on the team could have written it because we all speak the, the same. We all have the same the same thought process. But this was from the vantage point of a man who can see 60 from where he is and, and what that means to him is very personal and and just you could really you could hear that voice yeah and you could hear the fear in my voice yeah i mean it's legit hey this is real and that's how i started the uh the, the blog is that stuff's about to get real around yeah. here because the things that I've been talking about my entire career for over 30 years, I've been talking about retirement investments and, and, and trying to find ways to help people to have a, a, 
pleasurable retirement. And I think, as I said in my blog, it's time to eat my own cooking now. As yeah. uh, we, there were some things that I referenced in the blog, and you could go to GetReadyForTheFuture.com and and look up under the education tab the blogs, and and it's right there. And and you know, it's something that that I think will be uh, helpful to folks that are preparing to get into their sixties. But some of the same things of sixty plus is effective in the 70s because of people like the chief who are continuing to work and that just kind of pushes that that timeline a little bit further down the road. Well, there's a lot of variables that go in that. If you've worked through your 60s and you've arrived at 70 years old and you have not uh, pulled the trigger on, on retirement yet, then did you did you start taking Social Security at your full retirement age, or did you delay it? And and what does that mean as far as your retirement income is concerned? And then the other thing that's looming in there is we work with a lot of clients who are wanting to get out of uh, work as soon as possible, and so that retirement income plan starts to go into effect in their 60s, and they may be beginning to draw income from their qualified accounts, but you don't have to. Right. You can wait as long as 70 and a half, and so the required minimum Distribution that RMD acronym is something that comes into play as well. Absolutely, and Candace, it's a it's something that a lot of people don't even know what it is uh, when we talk about RMDs, but they can be dangerous if they're ignored. Absolutely, that will be a fifty percent penalty mm-hmm. if you forget to take those. So there's a percentage that you need to take starting at age seventy and a half and going uh, continue it on from there. Um, but if you don't take that, a fifty percent penalty on what you should have taken. And and it's tricky because it's not the same percentage every year, right? And it's not the same dollar amount every year. So it's another reason to be sure that a financial professional is looking over your shoulder, Janet, as you're walking down this road. You know, this is something that we. Uh, double check every year for our clients at Gen Wealth. Technically, according to the IRS, it is the responsibility of the investor, not of the advisor. Uh, but it's something that we absolutely double check. And they were also very cautious about when people's money is in transition, whether it's coming from a 401k to an IRA or maybe another IRA to another IRA. We always want to pay very close attention to whether or not that RMD has been satisfied. And when you are 70 and a half, it doesn't happen the day that you turn 70 right. and a half. You actually have until April 1st of the following year, the following year past when you turn 70 and a half to make that first uh, required minimum distribution. And I think it's also important to note that this does not apply to your 401k. If you are still working and you're age 70 and a half, there's not a required minimum distribution on that. We're talking about for money that you may have rolled out of your employer plan. When you talk about other things coming up in today's show, we are also going to be spending a significant time talking to Mike Munnerlin. He is a lawyer here, an attorney, a state attorney here in the central Arkansas area and works closely with us on many occasions with estate planning issues. And I think it's important, guys, to point out that we're not saying that you should wait until your 70s to begin the estate planning process, but if you have found yourself in your 70s and haven't done anything about it, this will be a show for you. Yeah, and you you know if we're talking to you, kind of like my uh, uh, junior high assistant principal, you know who you are. <laughs> you know, he used to get on the intercom and and he would talk about somebody that you know did something in the cafeteria, you know, uh, that maybe was you know not so on the up and up, and he would say, "And you know who you are. Come to the office." And he was trying to basically goad them into coming to the office. But you know who you are if you've not done right. this estate planning thing. I, I think it's funny people kind of get in this mode at some point where, okay, I'm actually ready to do this. I remember talking with this one particular couple in their 50s, and they were just adamant that, you know what, our heirs will have to deal with it, and whatever. Good luck to them, and they get whatever's left over, and that's the price they have to pay to get the inheritance. And I thought, oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. But that was their mindset. Now, they're almost into their 70s, and the last time I had that conversation, it was like they were different people. Yeah, we absolutely need to do that. Let's call and set the appointment. Just done. So the differences between a will and a trust, the many different kinds of trusts that are out there, all topics we're going to discuss with Mike. And that's actually coming up uh, in the meat of the show, segments two and three. So definitely get ready for that. And then in this final segment, we'll be back to talk about a few other money milestones in the decade of your 70s. The Get Ready for the Future show just getting started on this Saturday morning. Stay with us. Don't touch that dial. Straight talk about retirement, investments, and your money is right around the corner. The Get Ready for the Future show returns after this. 
Life can be so busy, it's hard to even picture retirement. That's why you need somebody you can trust who will paint that picture and help turn dreams into reality. Plan, personalize, and protect your future with the team at GenWealth. Call 877-341-7355 to schedule an appointment. Now, back to the Get Ready for the Future show. Investments and economics move at the speed of light. And we've got the latest information you need to know to stay ahead of the game. From GenWealth Financial Advisors, it's the fastest four minutes in investing. John, many of our listeners know I spend a little bit of time during football season with my nose in the numbers. All the stats around college football season because of my role as pregame show host on the Razorback Network. And all those stats really help when you try to figure out what's going to happen in a game. But at the end of the day, we all know the only numbers around a football game that matter are on that scoreboard. Yeah, you're right. And it gives you something to talk about for three hours before a football game. (laughs) But it really doesn't mean anything uh, to the team or really anything to anybody if the score is not right. And there is a score that you look at in investing that you, you, if you look at it, all the other noise begins to fade away. Things about tariffs and hurricanes and this and that. All of these things are just noise when it comes to the comparison of the numbers on earnings. Earnings are simply, Scott, the profit that a a company is generating. And if a company is generating profit, then it's going to move the stock price. Mm -hmm. Eventually, it's going to move the stock price. The stock price can be affected by all of these other ancillary things. But at the end of the day, people want a stock of a company that is earning money because that means that stock is going up in value. Well, that's certainly been true. If you look at the chart from our partners at LPL Research, we have been in a in an earnings growth environment since the third quarter of 2016. And you think about early part of 2016 in the stock market was a little rocky. Yes. But since that earnings growth has started to take off, look at what the stock market has done. Yeah, and so far, uh, we are about 20% of the way through the earnings season for the third quarter of 2018. And what are we seeing? We are seeing very strong earnings when it comes to the numbers that are coming in from the S&P 500 companies. Uh, They they are solidly ahead of where most people thought they would be at this particular point in time. That's the unusual thing, Scott, about this economic cycle that we're in. It just seemed to have grown long legs toward the end of it. And now we are 10 years almost into a bull market and we're seeing these earnings uh, really uh, come in above a 20% increase in the over the previous quarter and so that's outstanding when it comes to corporate earnings yeah the numbers we have here earlier from from earlier in the week are at 21.6 percent based on the S&P 500 companies that had reported up until that point so you're talking about earnings growth back to the quarter three of 2016 and it keeps getting larger and larger but there is a big butt here at the end. Yeah. And, you know, as someone that I used to work with a long time ago, she used to look at me and whatever the situation was, she said, this too shall pass. Yeah. And and that's something that we're talking a lot about here with our clients at GenWealth is that this bull market is not going to last forever. Earnings growth is not going to last forever. And so we're talking about being prepared. And Scott, we are looking ahead into 2019 and seeing some indication that earnings are going to slow down. Now, that doesn't mean companies are going to become unprofitable. It just means the rate of growth is not going to be as much as it has been since 2016. So in 2019, the projection is still earnings there, just not growing at the level they were in 2018. Yes. And you don't know really how the market is going to react to a slowdown in earnings. Uh, We're not forecasting a recession or anything of that nature, but we do see earnings slowing down in 2019. And what all that means to you is that you need to be prepared. We've got rising interest rate, a slowing economy potentially in 2019. Those are things that you need to be sitting down with your advisor talking about and repositioning your assets to go into a bit of a new era when it comes to retirement income planning. Corporate earnings equals the scoreboard. Absolutely. I I like that. That's it for the fastest four minutes in investing for this week. The Get Ready for the Future show continues right after this. 
Stay in touch with the Get Ready for the Future show during the week. Search Facebook for Gen Wealth Financial Advisors or follow us on Twitter at Gen Wealth FA. More straight talk about money after this break. More straight talk about retirement, investments, and your money coming at you. We're back with the Get Ready for the Future show. With offices in West Little Rock, Bryant, Hot Springs, El Dorado, and the Shreveport, Bossier City area. If you'd like to connect with a Gen Wealth financial advisor near you, the phone number to call is 501-653-7355. And that's our main number here in the Bryant office, but it will get you in touch with an advisor near you. Again, it's 501 501- 653-7355. You can call now, but remember it's the weekend. You need to leave a voicemail or you can call back Monday or you can also reach out to us via email info at getreadyforthefuture.com. An advisor ready to sit down with you for a first complimentary first appointment to check out your needs, talk about your goals. And as we continue with our theme for today's Get Ready for the Future show, Our theme all month long has been money milestones for certain decades of life, and we have reached the 70s. Now, we're going to talk with Mike Munnerlin, who's with us in the studio today. Mike is an attorney uh, in the Little Rock area, and we're going to talk about estate planning. We do want to put this disclaimer out there first, Mike, though. We don't want to suggest that you should wait until your 70s to do some estate planning. But if you haven't done it by the time you've reached that decade, it is certain, uh, certainly should become a priority. Good morning to you, Mike, first yeah, of all. Good morning, Scott. Thank yeah. you all for having me on. Yeah, well, we appreciate you being here. So let's let's just start off, I guess, with the basics here when it comes to estate planning. What happens to your estate when, when you die? Yeah, Scott, great question. Essentially, when someone passes away, anything that is owned in their individual name that doesn't have a joint owner or a beneficiary designation becomes part of your estate, which if it becomes part of your estate, we have to go through some form of probate to get the asset retitled to your heirs or whoever your beneficiaries are named in your will. Okay. So when you think about that process, how is how is probate handled? Probate, if for someone who's not uh, clear about what that word even means. D- describe what probate is. Yeah, so probate's the legal process in which someone's affairs are settled. Essentially, if you have a will, you have to take the will, get an attorney to uh, present it to a judge to ask that it be admitted to probate. If you pass away without a will, you still have to probate those assets that were in your individual name. But that type of probate is called what we call an intestate estate, meaning an estate for somebody that did not pass away, that, that did not have a will when they died. So when you think about what people may have, if they're listening today, as far as some directive after after death, if it's just a will, I think that's a first point to, to clarify here is that it doesn't avoid the probate process. That's correct. A lot of a lot of people were falsely of the belief that a will is just something that happens automatically. When you have a will that you still have to go through the legal process. You have to get that will admitted to probate, where a court is essentially going to look the will over and make sure it was uh, signed with all the formalities, statutory formalities, and then the judge will essentially appoint whoever you've nominated as the personal representative, and the probate start process will commence at that point. And the probate process can be rather costly, can it not? It can be. We as attorneys can charge several different ways. The most common is a statutory percentage which is a regressive scale, but it's roughly 3%. So just multiply 3% times whatever the value of the probate assets are, and that'll give you some indication of what the legal expense would be. All right, so what, is, so what are the major differences then, if we, as we bring in the, the topic of a trust, what are the major differences between a will and a trust? Yeah, trusts, especially in Arkansas, living trusts are very, very popular. It's a, a common way to allow your assets to be transferred to your desired beneficiaries without having to go through probate, whereas a will, you have to to probate it. Uh, The major difference is a trust, if it's fully and properly funded, uh, can be handled privately a lot quicker, usually 30 days. Uh, Typically, we can administer a trust. It's a little bit more expensive on the front end to set up a living trust, but you save a tremendous amount of expense on the backside because you're not paying an attorney 3% to do the uh, the, the, the legal work. Uh, so th- those are sort of the, the major differences. Not everybody needs a living trust. It really depends on 
who your beneficiaries are more so than anything as far as where they're at in life and if they have any issues or problems that would uh, you know require possibly their interest being left in trust as opposed to them receiving it outright. So when we talk about that, when you say not everybody needs a living trust, let's let's get into if 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 people were addressing people in their decade or their seventies to today, how do they go? What process should they go through in identifying whether they do need a trust? I know a lot of people think. Uh, I, I'm, I'm 45 years old. A lot of people of my age would think, well, that's something for people when they're older, or that's for people who have a certain asset level that I don't have. What are some of the 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 indicators or or the decision making process that people should go through to define whether they need a trust or yeah, not? Yeah, good question. You know, when I started practicing 23 years ago or so, the estate tax laws were a lot different than they are now. The exemption was only six hundred thousand dollars. Now it's over 11 million. So 20. Five years or so ago, people were doing more trust for estate tax planning reasons. Now we have a lot more favorable estate tax laws. So now, really, the clients that are more of a candidate for a trust, it's not as much a factor as what their estate's worth. It's more of a factor of where their beneficiaries are as far as whether how old they are, whether uh, they have marital issues, creditor issues, substance issues. Maybe they just can't manage money. If you have beneficiaries that have any of those issues, or perhaps they're drawn Medicaid or SSI, those are those are clients that need to leave their assets in trust for their beneficiaries, so that they can't be lost for those for those obvious reasons. And you know, the living trust is just a way to create those subtrusts, if you will, for the beneficiaries in a in a manner that won't have to that does not have to go through uh, probate administration. So let's dive in a little bit more on the details behind that. When you talk about um, what can go into a trust or what what instructions can be put into a trust, when you talk about all those variables you just mentioned, people may not realize how specific the trust instructions can be. Yes, a trust, uh, the terms of a trust can be extremely detailed, very specific. Uh, we want to be clear. We don't want to be ambiguous, which creates, you know, litigation and uh, controversy. Uh, so we can clearly specify. I mean, I have, lot, I have numerous clients over the years that have had very detailed uh, instructions as far as when distributions can be made. Uh, sometimes we'll have uh, clients that have uh, beneficiaries that have substance problems where we'll require mandatory periodic uh, drug tests, for instance, uh, before a distribution can be made. Uh, typically, we'll have provisions where maybe they receive it in piecemeal at certain ages mm-hmm. or certain number of years from the, the grantor's death so that we're able to spread it, spread the distributions out where the assets cannot be uh, distributed all at one time and, and possibly mishandled uh, uh, you know, over a short period of time. So you mentioned living trust. I know there are a lot of different kinds of trust available. What are some of them? Uh, kind of hit the highlights of some of the different kinds of trust for us, and how does someone go about figuring out what kind of trust would be applicable to their needs? Yes, yeah, Scott, a living trust is, is often referred to as a revocable trust, and it is a trust that someone creates where they're wanting to retain control and just structure their uh, assets so that they will avoid probate when they pass away. The uh, an irrevocable trust, meanwhile, is 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 used more commonly, and that just like the name implies, that's a trust that the grantor does not have control over. It's irrevocable. It's more of a permanent trust, and that's used typically for clients that may be trying to protect their assets in case they're getting older and they're worried about losing everything in case they had to go into a nursing home and uh, they're wanting to start that five-year clock for Medicaid. Uh, or sometimes clients are just wanting to turn control over to the younger generation, their children, to manage the assets. Uh, the major difference between the revocable and irrevocable is just the fact that you can change and modify a revocable. You are in control of it. Whereas with an irrevocable trust, that is irrevocable. It's permanent. That's something that you do not have the ability to change. Another big difference is uh, a revocable trust is a trust that uh, for tax purposes, whatever's in your revocable trust, it it will be part of your estate for estate tax purposes. So anything you put in in a revocable trust, you will get a step up in basis for income tax at your death. Whereas an irrevocable trust generally if you put something in it, the basis carries over 
And so you won't will not get that step up in basis if the asset has appreciated at at your later death. That is a major factor, I would imagine. It, it can be. Yeah. Yes. So when you think about um, a lot of people, this is a common question and a, and a common thing when we get clients in, and, and obviously at GenWealth, we, we don't have attorneys on staff, so we do outsource that to attorneys like Mike to, uh, to, to deal with the estate planning issues and the creation of a trust. But one of the things I think people are very unclear about is what type of assets can go into the trust and what type of assets cannot go uh, into a trust. Generally speaking, help us uh, clarify that. Yes, Real, real estate you would typically put into your living trust. Uh, if you have brokerage accounts, if you have GenWealth LPL brokerage accounts, you can either put those in the trust or we can make the assets transfer on death to the trust. Uh, you could put your bank accounts into the trust. Uh, the An IRA, qualified account, 401k, 403b, you, you do not make the trust the owner. You can, but you got to be careful, make the trust the beneficiary of qualified accounts, 401ks, IRAs. Uh, business interests can, uh, assuming that there's no buy-sell agreement uh, that precludes precludes it, you can also put business interests into the trust. We typically would not put vehicles in the trust, but other than qualified accounts, IRAs, uh, generally you can uh, you can put uh, all of those assets into a trust. You mentioned that you, you kind of have to be careful about deciding whether you want to make the trust the beneficiary in those qualified accounts. What what are the decision makers there for uh, for someone? Yeah, the with with qualified money, you, you, we want we always want to defer tax and, and and allow the stretch possibility so that we don't have to take those distributions out and, and unless and until we have to, so that we postpone the taxation. So, if you have a, a living trust, for instance, that is going to shut down at the grantor's death, and everything's going to be just distributed outright to the children, that would be a situation where you may consider for tax reasons, just naming the children as the beneficiary, whether it's primary or contingent, depending on if you're single or married. Whereas if you have a situation where you have minor children or you have children that have spendthrift issues or substance issues and you have to leave their interest in a subtrust, if you will, then you have to name the trust as as the beneficiary so that uh, you don't want the child or beneficiary named directly because it defeats the, the whole purpose of why you needed the trust for the for for that for that child. So, you know, there there are some there's a common misconception out there that you should never name a trust as a beneficiary of a qualified account. That is incorrect, but you have to be very very careful and make sure the trust is is set up properly and administered properly whenever a trust is named as a beneficiary of a qualified account. We're speaking with Mike Modelin, attorney in the Little Rock area. We are talking about estate planning issues today on the Get Ready for the Future show as part of our theme of money milestones in your 70s. And we'll continue our discussion with Mike when the Get Ready for the Future show continues in just a moment. We hope you'll stay with us. Like what you hear? The Get Ready for the Future show is always just a click away. Find us on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website, getreadyforthefuture.com. We'll be right back. If you aren't following us on social media, you're missing out. Check out behind-the-scenes photos, money tips, and informational videos. Just search for Gen Wealth on Facebook or follow us at Gen Wealth FA on Twitter. Now, back to the Get Ready for the Future show. Talking about money milestones in each decade of life all October long. And as we wrap up the month of October, we're talking about money milestones to think about in your 70s and our Focus and our discussion today concentrating on estate planning, wills, and trusts. And we're going to get back to our conversation with attorney Mike Munnellin in just a moment. I do want to remind you once again of our next Gen Wealth Academy workshop that is coming up very soon on November 8th at 6.30 at the Crown Plaza in Little Rock. We'll be talking about the 10 things you need to know before you retire. What are those 10 things and how do you deal with those challenges if you are five years or less away from retiring, this is a very important workshop for you to attend. 10 things you need to know before you retire. November 8th is the date, 6.30 is the time. Crown Plaza Hotel in Little Rock is the location. To sign up, just go to getreadyforthefuture.com forward slash events. Our workshops are always free. There is no sales presentation involved. We are not trying to sell you anything. It is education focused. 
and no requirement to meet with an advisor after, although we will certainly be there and available if you choose to do that. So returning to our conversation now with Mike Munderland, an attorney who does a lot of estate planning uh, in the Little Rock area, and we've talked a little bit about uh, assessing whether you have a need for a trust or a will. One thing we haven't talked about is obviously there are other things uh, that, that people may need to consider in addition to or exclusive of a trust or will. And, and one of those things has to do, Mike, with, with planning for incapacity. You know, we've talked a lot about assets and, and, and passing on wealth, but what if um, something happens to a spouse, and we're talking to people in their 70s today, obviously these are things that, that people are talking are thinking about at this age of life, the other spouse may be limited in decision-making without really going over some things, uh, planning for incapacities. Yes, Scott, absolutely. Um all clients should have should plan for incapacity by having a financial power of attorney as well as a health care power of attorney. And a financial power of attorney is essentially a document where you designate one or more individuals either as your agent now or we could draw it up where it's what we call a springing power of attorney that doesn't take effect and, unless and until you become incapacitated so that someone legally has the authority to act on your behalf with respect to your financial or property matters in the event of your incapacity. If you do not have a power of attorney, then the only recourse would be to petition the court and ask for a guardian to be appointed on your behalf. And generally, you'd like to avoid probate at death, and you also want to avoid a guardianship in the event of the incapacity. And the best way to do that is through a, a power of attorney. And also for health care decisions, you want to have a health care power of attorney so that you designate who you want to make health care decisions on your behalf if you can't make them yourself. And uh, typically, as part of the health care power of attorney, you'll have a living will or advanced directive component there so that you're basically saying, you know, if, if two doctors are of the opinion that you, you're in a permanent vegetative state or an irreversible condition, you either do or do not want the plug pulled, if you will. That's mm-hmm. a crude way of putting it, but uh, everybody knows what, what we're saying when we when we phrase it that way. Well, we know we're in the fourth quarter of life when we're talking to people in their 70s, and and it's not any fun to think about, but certainly planning does make that process go more smoothly. That is the thought process behind all of this. Let's talk a little bit to the heirs. Let's talk a little bit to the beneficiaries. When we talk about who's going to be receiving the transference of this wealth, what about tax treatment of trust for the beneficiaries? Yes, when when trusts are separate taxpayers, and depending on how the trust is is set up, if if all the income is mandatorily distributed, then the the income will flow down through the beneficiaries. But a lot of trusts will be discretionary in nature, where the trustee has to decide whether to distribute the income or to accumulate the income. And trusts are taxed at a very high rate, around twelve thousand dollars of taxable income. They're in the top bracket. So you once. You know, for tax planning purposes, assuming that the beneficiary is capable of managing the assets, you generally want to avoid trapping that income at the trust level because you're going to end up paying a whole lot. You're going to have a lot larger tax liability. When we talk about that word trustee you mentioned there, let's define what that is and and what role does a trustee play? and, And what are some things to think about when you're deciding on a trustee of your trust? Yes, the trustee is who manages the trust, and that's who's going to decide how it's invested, where it's invested, and probably more importantly is, you know, they're the ones that are going to have the discretion, for instance, if the trust has discretionary clauses as far as whether to or not make a distribution. When, when, I, when I counsel with clients as far as who to name as the trustee, a lot of times we're looking at the time horizon on how long that trust is going to last. If it's a trust for a five-year-old, for instance, and we have it set up where they're not going to receive that final distribution until age 35, then we have a 30-year horizon there. So we've got to think long and hard. If it's an individual we're contemplating, making sure that person is not too advanced in age and and also having backup trustees. Uh, You know, you can name a bank corporate type trustee. There's advantages and disadvantages of bank and corporate trustees versus individuals. Uh, you just have to, to kind of weigh the balance there and look at the cost difference and the familiarity with your family difference. Uh, we have a lot of situations where someone will name an individual, possibly a family member, but then they'll name a backup as a, a corporate bank type trustee in case that individual can't do it, or maybe they can initially, but they, you know, something happens later in life and they have to resign or step aside. 
You mentioned in the last segment, so some of this might actually be a review uh, of some other directives you can make in a trust that are really non-financial in nature, uh, may ultimately have to do with amounts of money distributed, but still would be uh, things that the trust could control that aren't necessarily financial. I think of things like special needs trust or something like that. What are some other non-financial benefits of having a trust? Yeah, one one increasingly popular concept that a lot of my clients are, are, are have decided to start using recently is even if they're, let's say their child beneficiary is very mature, very responsible, leaving it in a lifetime trust where they are their own trustee, but we'll have a spendthrift clause in that trust. And that's for asset protection reasons. So that if that child, let's say they went through a divorce uh, later on, if they were there had a business that failed, or maybe the child is a physician or in, in any type of high risk profession, by leaving it in a lifetime trust with the spendthrift clause, it protects those assets from the child beneficiaries creditors. Uh, uh, so that's, that's, you know, a lot of my clients are very um, in favor of that approach because it, it gives the child a vehicle to protect these assets even after the client has passed away. So we have just a few minutes left. I want to kind of get into, since you do this on a daily basis, what is the process like for, for a client who comes in? You know, we, we talk a lot here on this show about the process, the, the Gen Wealth Ready to Retire process. What's it like? How many appointments are you going to have? How long are you going to spend? What do you need to bring? What's that process like creating a trust with you? Yeah, yes, Scott. The, the process is 45 minute to an hour meeting. Where, where we sit down with the clients, get all their information, do some fact finding. I learn a little, I learn about the client situation, his family, his assets, you know, where their age, what their income is, and then we're able to to identify what their biggest concerns and objectives are. And you know, not everybody that comes in needs a trust. Uh, probably half of them do not, especially if they have beneficiaries that are. If you have a client in their seventies and their children are in their forties or fifties, they have no issues in life. A lot of times we can just do simple wills, financial powers of attorney, healthcare powers of attorney, and perhaps do a beneficiary deed, which is a pay on death deed, which will keep the real property from being subject to probate. And then we make sure that the clients, all of their bank accounts, life insurance policies, their IRAs, their brokerage accounts, we make sure they're all duly beneficiarized so that they have, for instance, named the spouse as primary and then the children as contingent beneficiary. So for, for you know clients like that, they don't need a living trust. So you know, it's probably half of the clients that perhaps do, but half of them uh, a lot of times do not. When you think about uh, putting yourself in who's listening today and, and thinking about maybe whether they need to sit down and, and talk about whether they they have a need for a trust or what they have a need for, I'm sure on their mind is, well, what, what's the cost of this? And when you're telling me all of these things, that's probably pretty pretty wide range depending on what the need is. That, that's correct. If you're talking about somebody that does need a living trust, you know, you're looking 2000 to $3,500 generally. If it's somebody that just needs wills, powers of attorney, beneficiary deed, you're talking maybe $1,000. So it can vary uh, uh, quite a bit there. Now, once that trust, it, it, again, going back to the trust conversation, again, assuming that, that someone does create a trust, how often should that be reviewed or, or updated? What kind, of, what kind of changes in someone's life would warrant uh, an additional meeting? Yeah, absent changes every three to five years, it's, it's, it's a good idea to review. Obviously, if you have one of your beneficiaries or one of your fiduciaries, trustees, executors, power of attorney uh, people, then if something happens to them, whether it's a death, a divorce, a bankruptcy, a disability, then you need to address it immediately whenever one of those life-changing events occurs. So if someone is, uh, I do want to give you a chance to kind of talk about your contact info and, and, and how long maybe you've been been working with clients in this regard when it comes to estate planning and, and how someone would get in touch with you if they're interested in um, in, in at least having a, a sit-down meeting. Yes, yeah, Scott. Uh, we, I've been in practice 23 years. Our office is here in Little Rock, but we meet clients all over the state. Uh, I do like to uh, get out out of the office occasionally to uh, to break the monotony. Uh, our office number is 501-663-5620. And uh, our offices are located in the Heights area, 1405 North Pierce in Little Rock. Uh, but uh, we would love to, to visit with anybody that may, may have an interest. And we always offer a no obligation consultation. That way, so, you know, clients can come in 
realizing they're not going to get a bill just for the consultation. At the end of the meeting, I will tell them what, what my thoughts are and, and suggestions and recommendations and, and what kind of fees they'd be looking at to uh, implement those uh, documents. So we've been talking with Mike Munnerlin, uh, estate planning attorney in the Little Rock area, and, and obviously the estate planning part of uh, your finances, your retirement, your your, uh, your your retirement life, and looking forward to transferring that wealth into the next generation. Key concerns we've been talking about. If there's anything uh, that you missed, because we've been on with Mike for a couple of segments, a reminder that our podcast is available uh, to listen to the Get Ready for the Future show. You can look that up via iTunes or Stitcher. And Mike, before we let you go, it just I guess maybe kind of summarize all this for us. Uh, talk to the people that may be in their seventies listening to this, and 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 just kind of summarize our conversation today about a, what what should people do if they're thinking about uh, what what they should really be considering, whether they should create a trust or not. Yeah, yes, Scott. Uh, my my advice would be just do some planning now while you can. Unfortunately, we don't get a second chance. At a minimum, you know you should have a power of attorney, a healthcare power of attorney at least a simple will. You may or may not be a candidate for a trust. You also need to to review and make sure you have proper beneficiaries on your bank account, your IRAs, your life insurance policies. Uh, you know, you just, you need to be prepared. It's inevitable that uh, what's going to happen eventually, and you don't want to create a, a messy situation for your loved ones after you pass away, where we're looking at six, nine, 12 months of probate, and there could be some unnecessary taxes that could have been prevented absent uh, good planning. Mike, thanks so much for your for your time. We appreciate that. Some valuable information for our listeners. The Get Ready for the Future show continues right after this. Monday warrior, mean, mean stride. Today's Tom Sawyer, mean, mean pride. Join us for one of our live events in your area. Go to getreadyforthefuture.com slash events for a calendar. More of the Get Ready for the Future show after this. We've got Gen Wealth Academy workshops happening in your area. To find out more, visit our website at www.getreadyforthefuture.com slash events. Now, back to the Get Ready for the Future show. And welcome back to our discussion of money milestones in the decade of your 70s. We hope you enjoyed our interview with Mike Munnerlin. We're going to move on to some other things in just a moment, but I do want to take a minute to remind you again about our two upcoming Gen Wealth Academy workshops. The 10 things you need to know before you retire coming up November 8th at 6.30 at the Crown Plaza in Little Rock. And the three big risks. What are the three big risks to your retirement? That's coming up December 4th at 6.30, also at the Crown Plaza in Little Rock. If you'd like to attend either of those, just go to getreadyforthefuture.com forward slash events. You can sign up there absolutely free to attend. And as always, education is the focus of these workshops. We are not there to sell you anything. There will be no sales presentation. We're simply talking about the 10 things you need to know before you retire on November 8th and the three big risks to your retirement on December 4th. And when we talk about our interview with Mike Munnerlin, great insight, great education there for estate planning. And definitely some things you probably should talk to your financial advisor about and then eventually with an estate attorney. Absolutely, Scott. And we worked with Mike for a long time and we've referred a lot of folks uh, to Mike from people that did not have an attorney that they were working with. But frankly, you could work with uh, any attorney here at GenWealth. We don't have attorneys here. We work with other attorneys. Right. Uh, there is no obligation to work with Mike or anything of that nature. We simply just uh, provide recommendations to folks that are looking for an attorney that can help them with that estate plan. Ultimately, it's your choice about the person with whom you work. We just want to encourage you to work with an estate planning attorney. And one of the things we always tell people is, I, I kind of make the comparison between the, the doctor realm. Like if you have a, a twin brother who's your primary care physician, you might go to him on everything else. But if you need to go see a cardiologist, you're not going to let your twin brother who's a primary care physician handle that. You're going to go to a cardiologist because it's very specialized. Estate planning is the same way. So you you may have a very close friend or close relative who is an attorney, but they're not an estate planning attorney. Be sure that you go to an estate planning attorney to handle these details. When we talk about the money milestones in your 70s, we began the show talking a little bit about these RMDs, required minimum distributions. And John, you said something I thought was very interesting, that a lot of clients come to us with no idea uh, that these 
either they don't they don't know they exist or if they've heard of them they're not really clear on all the specifics now we laid out some of that in the first segment and we should recap that that rmds required minimum distributions mean that in your qualified account your ira that at 70 and a half that's the age 70 and a half 70 years six months that by april 1st of the following year that is the deadline to take a required minimum distribution out of your qualified ira and the reason being money's never been taxed right, right. the irs wants to start getting some of that tax money. Yeah, and I think it's important to point out in that first year, you can delay it until April of the following year, but you have to take two RMDs that year as opposed to uh, only one. You only have to take one in the ensuing years, but that first year, if you delay it till April 15th of the following year, then you have to take one for your 70 and a half year and then one for your 71 year. And so it, uh, it is a bit of a complex thing. And so we recommend that people sit down with a financial advisor work through that uh, and and time that out properly. But Scott, to your point, I cannot tell you the number of comments that I've had from people who have IRA accounts that don't need the money. They don't want to necessarily take the money out of the IRA account. And so when we sit down and we counsel them about taking a required minimum distribution, they kind of get up in arms. They kind of get mad about it because it is one thing that they they just don't see the reason why they have to expose that to tax. And I tell them that, you know, at some particular point in time, you have to pay the piper. Either you pay it in a Roth IRA on the front end or you pay it on a traditional IRA on the back end. And as you said earlier, the government doesn't want that perpetual uh, year-to-year, generation-to-generation deferral of taxation. They want to get their taxes from that IRA money because there are trillions of dollars invested in IRAs and it's a big tax benefit to the government to do that. So let's talk about some of the options then if you're going to have to start bringing some of that out and it's going to be exposed to taxes. You already mentioned that when you take the RMD in those early years matters when it comes to how much is taxed because it is added to your taxable income. But if you do receive that money and it hits your account but you have a client who doesn't want to spend it, what are some options that we counsel with? Well, certainly you have to expose it to taxes, Janet, but uh, the the key here, I think, is that you don't have to spend it. You it's don't right. have to do anything with it. It's not like it has to be gobbled up into your cons- consumption income. You could actually take that money and reinvest it into another account. That's absolutely right. We have a lot of people who will reinvest it, and basically they're taking it out with one hand, exposing it to taxes, putting it in another account with the other hand. So we see that regularly. Another option, though, is to do a contribution to a 501c3, but to do it directly from the IRA, it does not pass through your hands, which would make it taxable, but it can go directly to that charitable organization. One thing that I want to caution you about on this, though, is that, for example, there are a lot of small churches, maybe it's the church you've attended all your life, but they may not be officially a 501c3. You would think of them as a charitable organization because they're your church. You really have to check out how that's set up. Sometimes in these smaller churches, you actually have to to donate to the larger group, not to the individual church. So you really want to check that out before you make that contribution. A lot of complexity here, Scott. And when you think about complexity, and you think about this this decade that we're talking about, the 70s, then all of a sudden, and, and I'm referring to age 70, all of a sudden it really does compound the confusion because obviously the older you get, the more it's hard to sort out detail. And then all of a sudden, here comes all these details on required minimum distributions. And everybody's situation is different. But if there is family involved, if your children, your adult children, if you're in your 70s and you have adult children that you want to bring in, this is a great time to consider bringing them into the loop, so to speak, in all financial matters and bringing them with you to a financial advisor appointment. And Candace, that's a big part of the legacy planning when it comes to what we do at GenWealth as well. Yeah, we recently met with uh, a client last week who brought her son with her to an appointment and uh, just brought the family together so that the son knew exactly where all his mother's finances were, what was going on. But he also was able to make sure that she was being taken care of and he was really happy about that. And Scott, let me point out that in that particular conversation, uh, it was it was kind of a breakthrough because you had the son and the mother there. And the son was able to verbalize to the mom, 
it's okay for you to be taken care mm-hmm. of and spend your money for mm-hmm. you as opposed to you worrying about what you're going to leave the kids or the grandkids. We'll mm-hmm. take care of us. You take care of you. And that's a conversation a lot of families really do need to have because a lot of people are really kind of bound up in this whole idea of leaving a legacy, which I agree you should do that. But this is kind of like the the mask in the airplane. You know, if, if uh, the oxygen mask drops, put yours on first, then take care of the person next to you. You've got to be sure that your life is taken care of uh, while you're living and not worry so much about providing some smooth living for the kids or grandkids. Be sure you take care of you first. And then if there is a legacy to be left, then certainly you want to do that. Well, and it certainly highlights the need for that written retirement income plan that we provide to be able to see those numbers on paper on purpose for the person or the spouses in their 70s to know what kind of income they're going to be living on in their life. And then to be able to see that in the plan, there is a bucket out there for the legacy. Yeah, the the legacy bucket that we use at GenWealth is in the Income for Life model. And Janet, that is, uh, when we talk about the analogy of the house, that's really the the roof and the attic that uh, is part of that house analogy. And just like in your actual home, there are probably some things up in the attic that you really want to go to the next generation. That's what this purpose is is for. Um, One of the things that we've we've kind of touched on here, we talked about bringing the adult children in. I want to talk a little bit about a challenge that our society is seeing more and more frequently, and that is dementia. Mm. Um, we would encourage you earlier to bring in your adult children, even just one. If you got multiple kids, the one who will be responsible for dispersing everything, the one who needs to understand it all. And, you know, if they live halfway across the country, that's okay. We have technology to be able to bring them in. We've done that on a regular basis to be able to bring in a kid who's in California, and they're up on the screen when we're having a meeting here in Bryant, Arkansas. We can do that without a problem. We just believe it's critically important to involve that next generation so that not only prior to death, but maybe prior to other issues, whether it's dementia or whatever else, that your next generation really understands what's going on. And that really lifts a burden off the children, too. It does. Because think about how, you know, if you're gone and your children having to go and search for everything and take care of all these final expenses, that can be a real burden when they're dealing with a loss. Yes. And questioning what their parents would have wanted. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and let's point out that it is required on our part now to gather what is called trusted contact information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when somebody comes in and they are, uh, particularly if they're over 65, we're asking, okay, who would you want us to to contact if suddenly you were impaired or you called and you just weren't acting right and things of that nature? So I think it's important that whoever that trusted contact is, is brought into the loop beforehand mm-hmm. and not in a situation where things are, are a little bit more dire. You know, this is something that I don't ever care to have happen again in my career, but there on more than one occasion, we have as the financial advisors been the first ones to notice dementia because we don't see the client every day like their family does. We saw them six months ago and we noticed there's a big difference now. So it's really important to make that connection. If there's something you heard in today's show, whether it's revolving around estate planning, required minimum distributions, or getting the next generation involved in your finances, here's a number to call, 501-653-7355 to reach out to a GenWealth Financial Advisor. The first appointment is complimentary. Two hours of your time to talk about you and your financial goals. We have offices in Hot Springs, Little Rock, also Bryant, El Dorado, and Shreveport, Bossier City. We're out of time for this week's Get Ready for the Future show. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you'll join us again next week. The GenWealth Financial Team is available to you 24-7 at info at getreadyforthefuture.com or call our offices at 844-869-PLAN. The Get Ready for the Future show is a production of GenWealth Financial Advisors and opinions expressed are not those of this radio station and are for general information only. You should personally consult a financial advisor before making any investment and no strategy can assure success. GenWealth Financial Advisors is an Arkansas registered investment advisor with securities offered through LPL Financial. Member FINRA SIP. We'll